I'm Becky Sims, and this is SEO in 2023. Becky, what's your number one SEO tip for 2023? So my number one tip is all about being more human and not chasing the algorithm, but actually remembering that the algorithm's chasing humans. Google wants to be closer to how humans search and how as humans we'd interact and ask questions and help each other. So actually, if we focus more on humans and we focus on the human side of a strategy and thinking about our audience first and understanding their motivations and what it is that they're really looking for, then suddenly we'll build a strategy that's actually got so much more opportunity to be successful and actually to deliver the leads and um, sales and whatever it may be that your business is looking for. Understood. Okay, so you're talking about being more human and understanding the customer to better give them the content that they desire in the search engines, not necessarily be a better human to other people in the marketing department. No, well, but there is part of that as well, actually, because for me, this is to be a really good SEO is to work really closely across the department as well, because actually, the more that we can stop focusing in channels and silos. So I always use the line that your customer does not care where they find the solution that they're looking for. They just care that they find it when they're looking for it and in the right place at the right time and it needs to be the right solution. So if we get really hung up as marketeers that, oh no, SEO is the answer and that's the only answer, we're missing the fact that the customer is actually not necessarily looking on Google at that time. So the more we can understand the customer's journey and the different touch points, and I always use this analogy of thinking of the and it feels a bit mean to think of a user like a baton, but like a baton in a relay race. You're trying to make sure that as a brand and as a business, that if you can get hold of that baton into your your ecosphere and have them with you, maybe at an awareness point of the journey where you've answered a question for them, you then need to find a way to keep that baton and every single point that they're touching within your world, not your competitor's world. So the more you can understand all of those touch points and the ways that you can do that, whether it be through paid media, helping driving them back, or whether it's email marketing or whatever it may be, but that's gonna make ultimately your SEO much stronger because if you can understand those points, you can understand where you need to be visible and where organic can play its part and how it can work with those other channels. So yeah, there is also a part of being a better human in a marketing department and not being too uh, too focused on your niche. Nicely tie back to the question there. <laughs> so you, you mentioned awareness there, and I think awareness is where many SEOs start in terms of where they produce and optimise content for. But you also emphasise that it's important to be aware of other aspects of the customer journey and where your content, I guess, fits into that. So where does an SEO's activities role fit into, say, the consideration phase? So it, it depends and it is very much on a customer by customer basis. So the, the process that we would go through if we were looking at a new SEO strategy and as a more holistic digital marketing strategy is first of all, doing the customer piece to understand not just who they are. So there's a little bit of understanding a bit of de demographics because that can be useful, but it tends to be less useful. The really useful part is to understand their motivations, why it is that they buy the product that they're going to buy, what is it they care about. And this works really well B2C and B2B because you start to uncover things that you haven't realized and it means you stop talking just about products and features of your product, but actually talking about things that make a difference to, to the human at the end of the day that's going to buy it. So then once you've done that, we go on a process of that customer journey mapping. So we look at 
all of the potential touch points from awareness consideration and through to purchase of what types of questions are they asking? What is it they're doing? What are they, is it that they're looking for reviews and they're looking to build confidence? Do they want long form content? Do they want video? What is it they want? And how are they trying to surface that content? Actually, interesting, I was chatting to some of our team yesterday and so many people are using TikTok to do a lot of their research now. So we need to understand that. We need to understand if that's part of the journey because it might be as a brand, we can find them awareness and they might be searching on Google, but then they might move to something like TikTok for their research. But how do we as a brand make sure that we understand that and understand how to keep them moving? So it's very niche to each business as to where we think their audience are spending their time and what it is that they're doing. But the key is that you spend the time to do that and it does take time. And then it also takes testing and refinement to make sure that you've got it right. You're the second person in a couple of days, actually, to mention to me that they use TikTok as a means of um, identifying opportunities or researching their target market. Is TikTok not for just under a certain age bracket or is everyone using TikTok nowadays? So do you know what, I'll be honest, I'm not a big TikTok fan myself personally, so you don't find me on there, but you do find lots of people of all ages. It is starting to spill into older ages. And I think it's interesting, it was a bit of a debate going on in our office yesterday around people thinking that it's more for cat videos and silly fun things that keep them really uh, just having a nice time on social, watching things that are fun. But actually someone else was making a point of it very much depends what you're feeding the algorithm because there's lots of stuff and someone was championing and championing the point that they learn a lot from TikTok and they use it as a resource and it's an important thing for them. So I don't know, it's changing a lot, isn't it? Because you wouldn't have had a social platform delivering that kind of content in that way before and for people to see it like that. I mean, I do use Instagram as a source of searching for things and a source of inspiration, especially for online shopping, um, which is probably not a good habit to have. <laughs> it's funny, actually, 15 years ago, people probably associated YouTube as just being funny cat videos. 10 years ago, it was probably Facebook as funny cat videos. So it's, that's maybe where newer social platforms actually start off. Definitely. And there's always space for funny cat videos in my world. <laughs> <laughs> Another word that you mentioned was touch points. And the word touch points always leads me to think about attribution. So if there are multiple touch points for getting traffic from SEO and other marketing channels, how do you attribute the, the value of SEO nowadays? It's getting harder. It's definitely getting harder. And with all the tracking challenges, I think, and I still, um, my team are more into GA4 than, than I am at the moment personally. So I'm not going to walk myself into something I don't know too much about. But my understanding is that that's going to help us be able to attribute things a bit better than the universal analytics. But for me, I think it's thinking about it's, in some ways, we've done ourselves a disservice as digital marketers, that we've made everything as measurable as we have, that people do get a bit too obsessed sometimes with measuring and forget that there is a massive brand and relationship piece that goes on that is absolutely core and integral to driving results that's really hard to measure. And it is that more top of funnel, upper funnel activity where we are inspiring with content, etc. I mean, for us, one of the big things we look at is trying to tie email in as much as we can with the upper funnel. So trying to grab email addresses and for obviously in exchange for some amazing content or whatever it might be, but for a reason that makes sense to the consumer, 
but so that actually from that awareness content, we've got another way of bringing them into our world, staying in contact with them, but also tagging that that was from SEO that we managed to generate that if it's more in the upper funnel sphere. But it is getting harder. And I think there are lots of ways that you can try and map it and track it. But I think it's also a re-education piece that I find myself regularly talking to clients about. We need to need to take our foot off the pedal a little bit with being too worried about some tracking and accept that a big part of marketing is awareness and relationship. If you try to turn all of that off, you'll find sales will drop because you need that stuff there to be fueling people with confidence for them to convert in the bit that normally we can really closely track, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And uh, you mentioned email a couple of times already. It's certainly important to work holistically with other marketing channels, as, as, as you advocate, certainly. So maybe to, to focus in a little bit more on email, you talked about the fact that it's important to have an email opt-in if possible and to continue the conversation like that. I remember having a conversation with Rand Fishkin a few years ago, and he talked about how his um, Moz newsletter and actually clicking through to various stories from that, his hypothesis was that that actually impacted some search rankings, or at least Google seeing a lot of traffic to different search results, deciding to test to increase the rankings of, of certain articles that were linked to from email newsletters. What are your thoughts in general a little bit more about um, how SEO and email can work effectively together? So yeah, that's really interesting, actually. I haven't haven't come across Rand saying that. I need to go and dig that out and read that. But um, I think for me, it's more from that user journey perspective that they can work well together of that almost you've passed the baton at this point into email to say, right, you need to help drive this person back next. And where we do our work around looking at audiences and personas and trying to drive out motivations. We'll often look at how we can layer that into emails to see if we can try and bucket users into the personas that we're trying to to understand. So we've got our hypothesis of four or five personas, whatever it may be, and we'll test out different messaging throughout the email. And if it's, I don't know, box B that they click on, and that was tied to B persona, we then start to understand, okay, so maybe they prefer this type of messaging and this is the direction we need to take them in. And this is how we can guide them back in. So it's very much um, for us, it's that hand in hand looking at how we can drive the person through to conversion using email and and SEO working together. Yeah, I love that um, idea of yours of bucketing people according to personas. I I think that that sounds really interesting. Something else that I'd like your thoughts on is that, yeah, I've worked in a large organisation before that um, had hundreds of people in a marketing department and it had siloed departments of um, each individual marketing channel. Do you think the future of big marketing teams is actually to create small teams within that big department of multi-disciplines. So you'd have perhaps an SEO person, an email person, a paid search person, another person within a team together, and then working out how they can help each other a little bit more? Or is it more effective still to actually keep those different disciplines, different channels as working together? I think definitely whether you have them fully in a team the whole time, or if it was a pod that worked together. So maybe you'd structure your team in, in across the funnel. So you'd have your awareness pod, whereby the SEO person can quite confidently sit there and say, well, do you know what, guys, I am nailing it on this group of keywords within awareness, but they're not going to buy. I know they're not going to buy at this point because we know it's awareness. So actually, my dear paid friend and my dear email friend, how can you help me now push them through to conversion? Because otherwise, my job was pointless if 
I got them in at this point and we've done nothing. I liken it to, it's like almost having that first salesman touch point. I don't know, you've managed to get someone on the phone and they've had a bit of a conversation with you, but then you never bother to follow them up again. I mean, that's really rude, isn't it? You wouldn't do it from a sales point of view if you'd had a little bite. So actually what the SEO person needs to be saying is that I'm doing a great job here and I'm driving this traffic on these keywords, but I now need your help from a channel perspective to make sure that we're not being rude and that we're trying to re-engage with this customer because we know they weren't going to be ready. They were four weeks out from making a decision based on how we know our sales process works or whatever it may be. So how do we make sure that we're re-interacting with them? Great. I love the sales analogy as well. And you know, whether people work in mixed up teams of different marketing channels or all in the same, it's certainly important that people talk on an ongoing basis. And perhaps there could be uh, persona pods that people jump into maybe once a week or so to actually work more effectively together. Depends on the organisation, of course. But yeah, great thoughts. Well, Becky, you've shared what SEOs should be doing in 2023. So now let's talk about what SEOs shouldn't be doing. So what's something that's seductive in terms of time, but ultimately counterproductive? What's something that SEOs shouldn't be doing in 2023? So some of it is just obviously the reverse of of what we've just talked about is that being too siloed, being too blinkered that SEO is the only answer and I've got to do my thing. You see it sometimes that people are so passionate, but they get over passionate and they almost lose, they lose their influence within a team because actually people are like, oh, they're just banging on about that again. They're not seeing the bigger picture. So I think there's there's a danger there, but also a danger of being a bit too focused on chasing the algorithm and chasing certain keywords and not really pulling it back to what is the point and at the end of the day whatever organization you're either working in or if you're an agency working for someone you're trying to help them drive sales drive inquiries drive revenue in whatever format that is so you've got to keep your eye on that prize and you've got to every day be asking the actions i'm doing right now the right priority to be helping meet what it is that my client or the business that i work for is looking to achieve and and if you can't confidently say yes then you need to stop and and reassess what it is that you're doing your eye on the prize. Becky Sims is founder and CEO at Reflect Digital and you can find her over at reflectdigital.co.uk. Becky, thanks so much for being part of SEO in 2023. Lovely, thank you. (laughs) Get your copy of SEO in 2023, the book, over at seoin2023.com. 